for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is Locked and Loaded with Rick Munn on TNT. Yes, it's Locked and Loaded. This is TNT, which is today's news talk. We're coming at you live out of the Gold Coast in Australia, but of course, uh, beaming into homes and uh, huts and maybe prisons and hospitals all over the world because we are a global proposition here on today's News Talk. Uh, Hope you enjoyed the first hour of our show with Natalie. And of course, uh, I'm here until the top of this hour. Plenty still to play for. I'm going to be talking to Basil Valentine again in just a minute, uh, doing some news editorials with him. And then I'm going to be joined again by Jeff Thompson, also known as Jeff Buys Cars. We're going to be taking a the EV outlook for the UK and some more developments have happened since the last time he's been on. And then to round off the hour and to round off the week, uh, Ashling O'Loughlin will be joining me again from Ireland. Fantastic lady, uh, brilliant investigative journalist, uh, broadcaster. She knows what time it is and we're going to be talking about events that are happening in Ireland at this time. So uh, in case you don't already know this, uh, I'm sure many of you do, but we're getting new blood on board all the time. We have a website, which is tntradio.live because I know most people listen in uh, through the app, uh, which is available on the Google Play Store and the App Store, but we're also streaming out live on YouTube and Rumble and Odyssey at this moment in time. And of course, uh, the YouTube is embedded onto our website, which is tntradio.live. So if you haven't got the app, please download it and please uh, log into our live chat leave us some messages, thoughts, and comments, or you can email us uh, directly uh, with thoughts and suggestions. If there's a guest that you would like to see on here, please feel free to leave a suggestion. If you have an event that you want to advertise, please feel free to do that on our What's On calendar. We even have a cinema function now on the TNT website that if, you know, why pay nine quid to go to your local cinema uh, and sit surrounded by hooligans uh, throwing popcorn at you when you can sit in your own home free of charge and uh, have some carefully selected movies beamed into your home courtesy of TNT please feel free to take time uh, to check that out. So uh, we've got Basil waiting uh, to hop in. So let's get that done without any further ado. We'll be right back here. Don't go away on TNT, today's news talk. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's news talk radio, TNT. Basil, there was a story uh, we, we literally just covered in the last 30 seconds of uh, uh, Open Line with Natalie. The, one of the, uh, the UK's oldest cinemas is officially closing its doors next week. Uh, a little bit sad that uh, nostalgia-wise brought a little tear to the eye. I had flashbacks of when I was a kid. Going to the cinema was a big deal. This is pre-satellite TV. This is pre-internet days. It used to be a real event going to the movies back in the day, but not so much anymore uh, with the, the the rise and the the, the the, the, the metamorphosis of technology. Eh? It's sad. The old cinemas are all dying off. Yeah. So was this an individual cinema, Rick, or mm-hmm. a cinema chain? Because I know the no, cinema- just a little little independent one, Basel. I think it had been open since 1909, so it's playing its last wow. show uh, Thursday night coming. They just can't they just can't keep it viable anymore financially. So they're having to literally pull the curtains in that one. No pun intended for the last time next week. So a little another well, little nail, yeah, in the coffin of British cinema. I mean, there's no doubt that the experience of seeing a film in a cinema on a screen 20 or 30 foot wide with the enormous sound system they have is more impactful on the senses than watching it at home. And also, you know, one actually puts the smartphone away in the pocket 
for a couple of hours and one is forced to uh, devote all one's attention to the events on the big screen which i think is a jolly good thing for us to be honest yeah. because so many people myself included these days um not that i watch much television but when i do i'm afraid to say i double screen rick huh? it's a terrible uh -huh. sin and and uh, you know when i have guests and we sit down and say let's watch this film all right yes let's watch this one no phones we all agree no phones and sure enough, sort of 15 or 20 minutes into, into the film, the phones start coming out, you know. Uh, yep. It's a dreadful, dreadful curse. Uh, plus, mm. of course, you can recreate the cinema at home now. Home mm. cinema, you know, with your 5-1 uh, surround sound. People have these televisions three, four, mm. five, six feet wide or projectors. Mm. So there's less need to go out and buy the ludicrously expensive popcorn. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, having right. said that, to survive cinemas, have to do uh, you know innovative things, show films that you don't see on mainstream television, do Q and A's with directors, you know, try and get the community involved. So yeah, I and think the cinemas will be around for a little while yet. I certainly hope they so. They will. I like. I like the indie cinemas. Uh, there's. There's only one pretty much in Northern Ireland, uh, the Queen's Film Theatre in Belfast, down in uh, Queen's University. It's been going forever. They. They don't show uh, mainstream movies at all. They. They actually. Their unique selling point is they show independent movies or uh, re-screened classics like The Godfather that you wouldn't normally see uh, in mainstream cinema now. But sadly in the entire country here the, there's only one of those actually remaining so the good old days of uh, independent cinemas uh, i do believe are over but yet of course the industry is still uh, flourishing uh, people are still going out at the weekend and doing that business but uh, with a couple of other but it's stories, got a new uh, name now rick hasn't it it's called content content it's all content mm. isn't it we are content and uh, mm. you know everything from netflix and apple is content and it's about how that content is delivered. This is the language that's now used. It is. It is. Uh, moving on from that, we talked in the last hour, Basil, uh, about uh, just towards the tail end of your editorial concerning uh, George Galloway. His obviously uh, focus is on uh, what's going on in Gaza at the minute. Uh, you, you touched on a horrific event that has happened there uh, just uh, in the last 24 hours. Uh, I told, I said that we'd pick up on that again this hour. You want to give us uh, the details in this one, the, the bombing of the, uh, the, the aid, uh, people seeking aid over in, uh, in Palestine? Well, it was one of the most uh, egregious events of the whole 147-day nightmare. Um, Israeli troops opened fire, opened fire on a crowd seeking humanitarian aid. Basically, this was in the north of Gaza, where people are starving, uh, quite literally starving. There's a famine, and uh, trucks arrived to deliver aid. As one can imagine, there was something of a scrum around the trucks and Israeli troops then opened fire on people. Uh, over a hundred were killed, uh, hundreds more injured, and a lot of the survivors and the dead were then run over by tanks. I mean, it sounds like absolutely the most hellish scenes imaginable. Uh, the suggestion, of course, is that, believe it or not, the food trucks were used as bait by the Israeli occupation forces to draw 
Palestinians out into the open so they could be shot. Of course, mm. the Israelis deny this. They say that the majority of people killed were killed in a stampede. Uh, but the doctors in the local hospital, what remains of it, uh, say no. Uh, the majority, vast majority of the people they've seen dead and alive have gunshot wounds. Uh, France has called for an independent probe into the circumstances. Stéphane Sejourné, the Minister for Europe and Foreign Affairs, told France Inter, we will ask for explanations and there will have to be an independent probe to determine what happened. France calls things by their name. This applies when we designate Hamas as a terrorist group, but we must also call things by their name when there are atrocities in Gaza. Well, you know, the whole situation in Gaza is one big atrocity. And uh, I'm afraid Monsieur Sejourné is living in a fantasy land if he thinks there's going to be any kind of independent probe. By whom mm. exactly? When? You know, um, the Israelis control absolutely everything inside Gaza at the moment. And uh, the situation, you know, is the worst, you know, in the, since the Second World War. There's been the most rapid deterioration in food nutrition levels of a population since the United Nations started recording these things. You know, the fastest deterioration in the food safety situation for inhabitants. Uh, the risk of death from starvation is reportedly growing, disproportionately affecting children, pregnant women. This update is from the United Nations Office for the coordination of humanitarian affairs. The situation is exacerbated by inadequate water. 97% of groundwater is unfit for human consumption. 27% of greenhouses have been destroyed. More than 40% of croplands and dozens of home barns, broiler farms and sheep farms have been damaged and more than 600 agricultural wells damaged. While the fishing sector has ground to a halt it's a total nightmare. And can you imagine anything worse than being starved? And then you try and get some food from an aid track and you're shot at, Rick. I mean, let's just uh, translate the situation to the north of Ireland 40 years ago. Uh, imagine that the British government imposed a collective punishment on the Catholic population of the north of Belfast in particular in response to bombings on the UK mainland and the UK government imposed a total siege on the Falls Road area uh, cutting off the water bombing it shelling it throwing grenades through through uh, front doors and front windows starving everybody and then purporting to deliver aid only to shoot at the hungry population when they came out to collect the aid. I mean, it's absolutely off the charts stuff, Rick. And uh, I saw an interview with Mehdi Hassan, uh, late of MSNBC uh, on CNN, and uh, he was saying, and I think, you know, this must inevitably be the case amongst everybody, but the most hardcore Zionists in Washington, Brussels and everywhere else that this really does represent a tipping point. This is a sort of, you know, once you start shooting at hungry people uh -huh. uh, who are simply trying to get a bag of flour, for heaven's sake, you know, 
to create the most basic subsistence food. You know, they weren't queuing for smoked salmon and roast uh -huh. beef. Um, uh -huh. you, you know, this is... One runs out of words, Rick. Do you know it's what ghastly. I mean? It's ghoulish. It's ghoulish and it's ghastly. Basil, and uh, hellish was another word that you rightly used there. Do you know what I'm do you know what I'm thinking, though, as I'm listening to you talking, listening to your list that it's 147 days that the atrocity follows atrocity. Uh, it's getting from bad to worse. It's becoming more and more hellish. There's a danger uh, of some kind of crazy desensitization happening here as well because France for example calling out calling this out and people calling for inquiries about this it's a bit late for that for the people that have been shot trying to get the floor the people that have been bulldozed by tanks as they're simply trying to get aid and while people are calling for inquiries for example today that's not to stop another atrocity, something similar happening tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. There's too much talk, Basil. There's too much rhetoric going on. People are saying the right sound bites, but it doesn't seem to be translating into action on the ground in uh, Gaza. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got to have the absolute minimum and immediate, complete and total ceasefire. Um, you know, what is, you know, how can there be an inquiry? Uh, while, as you say, there's every chance of the same thing happening again. Uh, the Umar Welfare Trust, one of the organizations that delivered the uh, food aid to northern Gaza, said that it shared the exact location of where the food aid would be delivered with Israeli forces. Our partners on the ground who are in the south liaised with the Israeli ministry that organizes convoys in the north, and they had a plan in, plan in place. The trucks were moving together and the location of the distribution was disclosed. And that's where people were waiting all night. Unfortunately, a moment which would have given some happiness and relief that aged has reached those in need became a bloodbath. And of course, the suggestion there is that by informing the Israelis where the food trucks would be, they were in position to shoot people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Horrific altogether. And uh, as you rightly said, uh, there has to be an immediate and utter sensation uh, of, of violence that's happening over there because what's happening over there is an atrocity. And words are simply not enough. Uh, all we can simply do is bring this to light, Basil, and highlight what's happening there uh, and, and let people know what's happening on the ground uh, for real, what's affecting real people over in Gaza there. So we'll have to uh, call time on this one as per now. Many, many thanks to you this morning for stepping in uh, for Gemma. Uh, really appreciate you doing that and what you bring to the table. I hope you have an absolutely fantastic weekend and uh, all being well, we'll get uh, communicating again at some stage next week. So that's uh, Basil Volunteer. I'm Rick Munn and J I appreciate it. And Jeff Thompson is waiting in the wings to hop in uh, to talk about cars and also wider issues that are happening in the UK at the minute. So don't go away. Stay tuned for more here on TNT, today's news talk. TNT's James Freeman. Firstly, farming unions in Wales supported a vote to remain in the EU. And secondly, there is no evidence that farmers voted en masse for Brexit. There are no polls or other evidence to prove this. And thirdly, it is a very odd statement to make because what Drakeford is, well, at the face of it, what he's saying to farmers is that I now have the power to restrict your farms in Wales because you voted for Brexit. A very odd thing to say. James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature 
even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, we are joined again this morning by the one and only Jeff Thompson, also known as uh, Jeff Buys Cars. He has got a X or Twitter page and also uh, a fantastic YouTube channel under Jeff Buys Cars. He describes himself as a writer and a car guy with a small YouTube channel. Not that small. He's got over 100,000 people on there. He just wants to be left alone uh, to enjoy family and road trips. And he tries not to use Twitter unsuccessfully. I might add a little bit like myself Welcome back this morning, Jeff. How is life treating you this March? We're into March. Can you believe it? Great to be back, Rick. Um, we are into March, and I'm just I'm just back from a oh, a family break. Actually, I took a couple of weeks out, and I went I went digitally dark. I managed to switch oh. my phone off and leave it off. First time I've pretty much ever done that. And you know what? It was quite hard getting back into real life. I kept thinking, right, I'll switch my phone back on today. And another day went by and another day and another day. And I didn't miss it. <laughs> no, it's it's a beautiful thing if you can cleanse yourself completely from it. I used to do uh, overseas trips to Africa for long periods of time. And when I was there, there was no internet, no phones, no running water, no electricity. It sounds like hell to most people. But you see, after a few days, you start to realize, hey, I'm starting to live real life again with real people. And then when you come back into reality and you switch that thing back on and you start getting buzzed and pinged and people harassing you and stressing you out, you realize actually... It's not something you should lament the loss of. It's something you should celebrate being without. But it's part of our, I suppose it's part of our day-to-day life, isn't it? There's no escaping it anymore in the West. Yeah, that's right. And and with the way the YouTube channel has gone as well, although it started as a car channel, my email inbox is full of pretty much everything that's going on everywhere around the world. And as you well know, you know, I was just joking with with pre-production before we came live this morning. What are we talking about today? Well, it could be anything. There's that much going on. Um, it yeah. does. It does seem to be that, you know, there's fires being lit everywhere and on both sides. And it's really hard to keep on top of of where we're at. I joked before I went away saying, hopefully, by the time I'm back in two weeks, everything will be pretty much where I've left it. Um, but, yeah, it's no uh, it does change day by day at the moment. It does. Uh, one of the things that we talked about last time you were on, uh, you ha- you're a petrol head, same as me, uh, or a diesel head, whichever way you want to look at it. You like your internal combustion engine cars. Uh, there, you know, there's been a push over the last few years to try and uh, 
how would you say, coerce people uh, down the EV route? And of course, there's these net zero fantasies that the government had, uh, get rid of all new internal combustion engine cars by 2030. That can's been kicked a little bit down the road. Since the last time you came on uh, Tesla, Elon Musk himself actually put a post out on Twitter, almost like a fire sale. He says, look, we're not going to grant $1,000 off our Teslas because we know it's slow during the winter months. I thought that was very odd coming from him. It's a Mickey Mouse discount as well. But for him to actually admit things are quite slow at the minute, I thought was telling. But there's another story I want to discuss with you now. Uh, they're now pushing the development of a Tesla's new Roadster. Uh, they say they're teaming up with SpaceX to build a Roadster, a car that will do not the 60 in less than one second. It's mind-blowing. They're going to use rocket thrusters on it. Russ Musk is saying this is going to be the greatest car of all time. I don't know. It sounds good, but it smells a little bit of desperation to me, doesn't it? We're going to throw a rocket booster in this. We're going to use space-age technology. You're going to hit not the 60 in less than a second. That should excite me because I like quick accelerating cars. I like a bit of torque, Jeff, but I'm not excited about that. I think it's a bit uh, lame and a bit desperate. Uh, what do you think? I reckon greatest car of all time. I should probably get in touch with him and have a word because I think it was done by Volvo in about the year 1999. Um, you know, we reached a point, we discussed this last time, we reached a point in the late 90s, early 2000s where cars were doing everything a car could do and, and lasting forever. And ever mm -hmm. since then, all they've been doing is bolting on bits that you don't need that don't make the car a better car. Now, I read this yesterday as well about this new Tesla Roadster and the fact that he's going to somehow achieve 0 to 60 in one second. Who on earth needs 0 to 60 in one second? I mean, I drove yeah. a Model S Plaid not long ago that was, you know, less than three seconds, I think, to 60. And I did it once and I nearly fell out of the car. So wh who, who needs that? in a car i'm not interested in all of these things that he's saying who needs rocket boosters on a car and just to you know to show off on TikTok or whatever it is that these people need to do why not just try and build the very best car based on all of the attributes that we understand of being a car it's just going yeah. to be another toy and you know what you said on your intro to that there as well with interesting things going on in the in the ev market tesla reducing prices We've also got some real positive stuff happening uh, from the big manufacturers in Europe. You've got Audi and Germany now making major changes to their EV operation and sort of uh, slowing slowing down, as it were, what, what was their initial plan. And I think we, we're, we're going to start to see pushback from the from the car manufacturers on this. But yeah, I don't need a Tesla Roadster that does 0 to 60 in one second. I think that'll just make you sick. What's the point in that? I think I think we'd be liars if we said we didn't get excited at the thought of a fast not the 60 time because most men uh, women uh, I, I'm not wrong in saying this they will look at you know how many uh, seats are in there can I get the family in there comfortably guys generally speaking say okay that's fine but what what's the not the 60 time and I can remember when I bought my first quick-ish car my very first car by the way was a Volkswagen Polo 19. 88. It had four gears. It was a one liter engine and it did 55 miles per hour downhill maximum. Okay. So the not the 60 time and that thing was about 50 seconds. Okay. I graduated from that and I remember my first little quick car was a little Citroen Saxo VTR. It was a little 1.6 I8 valve and it did not the 60 in about nine seconds. And I thought I'd been put into the Millennium Falcon. And then I evolved onto a, a Subaru Impreza, you know, bought myself an Impreza Turbo in 98. It did not the 60 in 5.4. And I genuinely thought I was on a fair ground right about to take off. But that was about 
as fast as I needed to go, Jeff, even being interested in quick cars and acceleration. The Plaid model that you mentioned, not the 60 and 3, is literally eviscerating. So to do it in one second, I can only imagine there could be health implications to that too. It could literally kill some people, could it not? Could it not? I think it could. And like like you say, you know, if Elon Musk has got all this technology, I think what we want is um, we want a time machine because that, you touched there on the Saxo VTR. I also had a Citroen Saxo VTR. Oh, and beautiful. that was, without a doubt, the fastest car in the world. So if we we're talking about making the fastest car in the world, well, give me a time machine. I'll go back to being 18 and driving my Saxo VTR. And that's where we'll be, fastest car in the world. I think anything when you're 18 is the fastest car in the world. But like you say, 0 to 60 in one second, we're going to have crashes and we're going to have health yeah. problems. I'm working you do not the 60 in one second, because even if you're racing someone off the lights, let's say you pull up in your new SpaceX Roadster and you've got a Bugatti Varian sitting beside you, you know, with a thousand horsepower and you decide to race off the lights. If you hit that warp speed mode, by the time one second elapses, you're probably going to rear end someone or be at the next set of traffic lights. It's completely uncontrollable. I can only imagine it can be done for showboating on a track. I can't see how that's actually applicable on the road. And and surely that's what I mean. Even the people that are attracted by things like that, you know, the high tech stuff and the fast acceleration, they've got to be asking, I can't, my body can't handle that. My insurance company won't entertain me to drive that. And I'll probably end up killing someone as a result of buying it. I don't know. It seems like a, a, a real mess uh, on Tesla's part in this, but what do I know? I'm just a, an average consumer like you, but I am, I wouldn't be buying one of those, would you? I think, again, it just goes to show that there's no money in making sensible cars for real people. And we've seen this across the whole EV spectrum. You know, there's been very little push towards actual sensible cars that can be bought and paid for by actual sensible people. You know, a lot of these EVs are £100,000, $100,000, four-ton SUVs. Uh, and we're seeing the premium manufacturers getting involved as well. Lotus have just launched one. You've got Rolls-Royce now are launching some ridiculous thing. And uh, it just goes to show that the, 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 the movement never, never was about uh, moving humanity to a cleaner way of personal propulsion. Uh, I don't know what it was about, but I, I definitely feel like the whole thing was, was, a, bit, was a bit of a farce. And, it, and the sales figures certainly seem to be proving that at the moment. Mm -hmm. They do, they do, because the bottom line is it's reflected in dealerships, it's reflected in prices and big discounts, and also, of course, insurance companies uh, not really wanting to touch these products anymore. We've got to take a very brief headline break, uh, Jeff, just for a minute, and when we come back at the other side, we'll look at the outlook. You know, if you've been in that position, you've bought one of these, or you're scratching your head thinking, mm, should I, will I, won't I go down that route? Let's look at some of the potential pitfalls you might be wanting to be aware of that the dealer won't tell you about as he tries to flog you a spanking you or a second-hand EV. So we'll do that when we come back. Don't go away. This is TNT, today's news talk. I got a news flash for you. News flash. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. Israeli soldiers have been accused of massacring starving civilians waiting for humanitarian aid in Gaza City. Breaking news in the Middle East. More than 100 people are dead and hundreds injured after Israeli forces allegedly opened fire on Palestinians waiting for food aid. Russia's accused the UK of being directly involved in the war in Ukraine and India's developed a new pill that promises to prevent the recurrence of cancer and reduce the side effects of treatment by up to 50%. 
Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Uh, just staying on the EV theme here, Jeff, at least for a, a short time until we're finished. Uh, the EV market, this is an article that's coming out from an Irish uh, news outlet, News Talk FM. The EV market has become so unsustainable that a Wicklow Irish uh, car dealership no longer accepts them as trade-ins. And, you know, it's very offensive, isn't it? You drive your old knackered car to the garage, you almost expect them to take a trade-in, you know, to get a new car. Even if they rip you off on the price, at least they'll take it off your hands. But, you know, now some dealerships are saying, not interested, don't want your trade-in, go and get rid of it somewhere else and then come back to me with the cash. That must be a little shot across the bows for EV owners too, as well as massively increased insurance premiums in some cases. Is the bubble bursting, do you think? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because, like you say, you do expect when you're buying a new car from a dealer that they'll take any old car in part exchange mm -hmm. and give you a nominal 500 quid because they're just going to chuck it on a trailer and send it to auction. But I've noticed, um, in, uh, particularly in some of the EV owner Facebook groups, there was a post that I screenshotted the other day, uh, and it was in the electric mini, you know, the, the little electric mini, quite a nice looking mm -hmm. thing. I don't think it's got a huge amount of range. But there's a post from someone that was just merely asking the group saying, has anybody else managed to part exchange their Mini? I can assume, you know, whether they were moving from an electric Mini to a newer electric Mini or whether they were going back to petrol or diesel. But they weren't able to find a dealer, like you said in the intro there, that was willing to even take the car and part exchange. So if dealers aren't even willing to take the risk and chuck it on a trailer and send it to auction, then there's some major problems there. You know, the, the supply of EVs is far outstripping demand at the minute. And I think if we checked on Auto Trader in the UK, particularly with the high-end stuff like the Porsche Taycan, that has had epic depreciation, there's something like 750 of them for sale at the moment. Well, are there 750 people looking to buy one right now? We've just got far mm. more supply than we have demand, and it seems to be across the board. You would have thought as well, uh, you know, buying and selling uh, secondhand cars or trading in cars, you know about this. Uh, there were a lot of uh, brands of car that, that famously held onto their value quite well. So you had BMW, you had Audi, you had Volkswagen, you had Mercedes. Generally speaking, they held onto their value best after, you know, a three-year period of ownership. You went to get a, a car from a dealer, you pay a premium on it. But I think a lot of people, when they bought cars, especially vastly inflated prices on the EV market, there would have been a mindset there, well, this cost me an arm and a leg, and it's made by Porsche, for example, you know, the tech and the flagship model, you would have had an expectation there as a Porsche punter that, you know, three years down the line, if I come to trade this thing, in, it's going to be worth something rather than being, uh, you know, refused potentially. I'm not interested in your Porsche tech and can't get rid of them at all, can't even give them away. Uh, it's maybe uh, signaling, uh, it's maybe telling that the prestige brands, you know, BMW have the rage of uh, EVs out there. You mentioned Rolls-Royce are coming out with products. I can only see people like, you know, oil sheiks buying things like that, you know, as, uh, you know, uh, show off pieces for their garages. People like normal people at the minute are getting their eyes well and truly open on this one. And the fact that dealers are actually refusing to take these cars in, I think is a very uh, damning statement. 
Yeah, I, I fully agree. And you'll you'll see the sort of pro EV people always be saying things like, oh, well, you know, any car will depreciate the minute you drive it off the forecourt. And, and that's true. You know, any car, petrol, diesel, whatever, will lose money when it's brand new. But the rate that these cars are losing money is so far over and above the normal rates of depreciation. You know, generally, depreciation will level out after year three or at least slow down. Mm -hmm. But we're not seeing that with the electric cars. But as well, like we touched on, it's the discounts that you're able to get at the dealership when the cars are brand new. And we've seen unprecedented levels of brand new car discounts just to try and shift these things. We don't know where the depreciation is going to stop. You know, the Taycan's a good example because it's, like you say, it's, it's from a premium brand. It's a very expensive car. We're already starting to see these at sort of numbers that begin with a four, so 40-odd thousand pounds. And I, I'm not quite sure where, where it's going to end. But the other side of this as well is the Taycan, when it first came out, is one of those cars that had a waiting list, as was the Volkswagen ID Buzz, you know, VW's cool new electric camper van. When I, when I first started seeing about those, it was a two-year wait list. And now, if I wanted one, I could probably get one this afternoon. Um, so what's happened to all the people that were queuing up to buy these things? Where's all that hype gone? Um, you know, and I think people are sort of waking up to the fact that for some people, these cars work absolutely fantastically. And I'm, I'm not yeah. going to deny that at all. If you can charge at home, if you've got cheap electricity, if you're set up and you've got a private driveway and all the rest of it, then right now is a great time to go and get one. I saw a Honda EV advertised the other day, £179 deposit and £179 a month. Now, that is ludicrously cheap, especially with a lot of the older cars like I drive. You're paying £30, £40 a month road tax. So really, when you take the, the amount that you're actually spending on road tax and take it off the lease, that's a brand new car for £130, £140 a month. It's starting to look quite attractive if you can make it work for yourself and that's the kind of car that you want. Yeah, that's that's the key as well. I think you said the last time you came on, and I agree. If you want to drive an EV, if it works for you, then fill your boots. I think we have a problem, as in people like yourself and myself have a problem when the government are trying to force us down an EV route when we patently uh, don't want to be forced down that route. That's where the issues come up. And just in closing here, uh, let's talk about car dealers as well, because obviously uh, there's a lot of businesses in the UK, car dealerships, they employ an awful lot of people. Is there a danger, Jeff, uh, in your opinion, humble opinion that maybe uh, dealers that uh, looked at the outlook that the government was putting forward maybe started to invest heavily into having high levels of EV stock or focusing on EV type vehicles. Now they're sitting with four courts where they can't really shift the vehicles and they're not taking any trade-ins. Could we see maybe a, a spate of dealer closures over the next two to three years as the reality of this bubble bursting hits the dealers? They've maybe invested or they went too hard on EVs, speculating that this may be the way forward when in reality uh, there's not the uptake there that they once thought there would be yeah absolutely and i think we've got a lot of things going on in in particularly in uk dealerships at the moment so the government have now said that dealerships need to sell a specific amount of evs so i think there's a number of things that are going to happen here we are we are going to see their their numbers being affected the bottom line because as we know the cars aren't selling at the rate that they need them to be selling i think we're going to be dealing with some pretty major mis-selling problems as well with the the dealers are under so much pressure to shift these evs I think people are walking into the showroom who really are not EV customers and are being steered towards them because the dealers need to hit these numbers. And also mm -hmm. you've got the, the major problem where if secondhand EVs aren't selling, it might be that people are moving customers into brand new EVs 
instead of second hand. So it's going to make the second hand market go even further. Because mm -hmm. if you walk into a dealership saying, hey, I quite fancy a secondhand EV, it looks like they're cheap right now, the dealer's going to go, well, have you considered a new one? Because on a new one, we can do you X amount and mm -hmm. it will be you know, brand new, fresh off the forecourt, which again is going to further compound the problems in the secondhand market. And I think a lot of people have been saying that this can only really shore up the values of petrol and diesel cars in the secondhand market. If you're going to a dealer and the dealer's only really pushing you to EVs, it's sort of ev all the doors over there well then maybe you are going to go look for a two three four year old petrol or diesel car and if there's more people looking for those cars then it's going to shore up the value of those which again is going to is going to increase that gap between the the the, the price and the value of internal combustion cars versus electric despite the fact that this whole push to electric is coming from the government it's coming from the dealers but actually the market itself might just go do you know what we still want petrol and diesel and those prices are going to stay strong. So I think interesting times ahead for, for yeah. car dealers. I really do think we've got a bit of a perfect storm. And I do think we're going to see some some businesses under a lot of pressure. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, by the way, for your input in this one. We're actually up to time on this, Jeff. Time goes by so quickly when we're talking uh, cars and internal combustion engine uh, vehicles. Just to remind people, you can hook up with Jeff on uh, Twitter or X at Jeff. That's G-E-O-F-F -F, buys cars. And also, please check out his content, subscribe and support him on YouTube at Jeff buys cars. It's a great channel. And he doesn't just talk about cars on there as well. I had a little peruse last night. You were talking about farmers protests and EE phone ripoffs as well so as you rightly pointed out you're not just a car guy you do other things but you know that name of yours jeff buys cars it does kind of pigeonhole you a bit you might want to change it to jeff buys cars and talks about farmers and phone ripoffs and geopolitics and jobs etc etc but it doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same way does it can, can I just add before we finish that this afternoon, uh, talking about one second cars that can do, you know, 0 to 60 in one second, I'm going to be taking my 1969 Renault 10 onto a dyno. It's 55 years old. And I'm going to put it on a dyno and see how much horsepower it's got. So, yes, I might rant about lots of different things, but cars, cars are what I'm here for. So it's yeah. always going to be car content on the channel. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure, Jeff. And listen, we'll stay in touch and get you back again sooner rather than later, I hope and believe. Uh, that's Jeff Bice Cars. You have a great weekend, mate. I'll be back after this short break with Ashling O'Loughlin from Ireland talking about the state of play over there. So don't go away. Stay tuned for more here on TNT, today's news talk. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. George Ford Smith of the Mises Institute has written a thoughtful and thought-provoking article entitled, Who Hijacked Our Free Will? And the answer, of course, is no one. Hijackings are violent actions. We haven't had a violent action against our free will. No, what we've had is incrementalism, incremental encroachments on our civil rights, our civil liberties, our very way of life. And every single time we take the easy path, we let the experts handle it, we let the government handle it, we just don't want to rock the boat. We've ceded a little bit more of our liberty and our free will. John Adams said that our constitution is holy for a religious and God-fearing people and is wholly unsuited to any other. We need to become more active, more engaged, and more educated. We need to start digging into our candidates and finding out to whom do they answer. If you've got a candidate 
that's being funded by the Koch brothers, you might want to look for another candidate in the Republican primary. Do your diligence, do your work, do your duty as a citizen. Exercise your free will before it's all gone. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. You're with Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio TNT. Yes, let's get straight to it. It's Friday, the 1st of March, 2024, and I'm happy to be joined again by Aisling O'Loughlin, one of Ireland's finest. And I say one of them because Ireland's producing some mighty fine people uh, this weather. She's a journalist. She's a writer. She's also a broadcaster. You can find her uh, on Substack, aislingolachlan.substack.com. And also she has a fantastic channel on Rumble, Aisling O'Loughlin News. So welcome back, Aisling O'Loughlin. How are you doing? Rick, how's it going? Yeah, so much happening. I mean, I could stay going 24 hours if I had the energy. Mm -hmm. There is that much news coming in. There is such, we have gripped in Ireland, which has been fantastic. And we all have to do our bit, really and truly. We we need more platforms. Thank God we have TNT, we have gripped. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, everyone has their limitations as well, you know. Um, So it's, it's just huge emphasis now to try and get this word out, to try and help people understand because the problem is when the fourth estate has gone rogue which is ha- which has in ireland it means people aren't informed and they don't understand what is going on and what is going on is so huge we get these stories every day they're coming in thick and fast they're all top stories and we need to discuss them we need to get them out and a uh, big issue then is how do we do it sometimes we're just crying into the ether Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one thing I normally say, I think when I'm doing these programs and have done since the start is that aside from globalists and, you know, rogue government agents, time is our enemy here because there's so much happening at the minute and so little time to cover it. Even last night, you and I were communicating about stories to cover today. I think we sent each other about 15, uh, at least, of uh, stuff that's been happening over the last few weeks just in Ireland alone. And of course, we don't have the time to cover these. Is there possibly... Uh, and a, a, a push going on to get so much happening to discuss with people, to distract people from other things that you're constantly feeling like you're spinning plates or playing that game whack-a-mole, you know, where the mole pops up in the arcade and you have to bash it over the head with a little plastic mallet, then another one pops up and you're jumping around getting stressed out about it. Could there be an overload um, strategy oh, going on is. as well at the government that we, we can't keep up with what's happening? Oh, there's silly buggers going on for sure. So we have to keep focused. So what are they not talking about? They're not talking about excess debts. What do we need to talk Mm. about? Obviously, excess debts. A big Mm -hmm. story arose there during the the week. A researcher, Denise Kelly, uh, put in a freedom of information request. And she was asking about the amount of midazolam prescriptions that went Mm -hmm. out uh, for primary care. Now, that would be outside the hospital setting. And it would have been doctors going into nursing homes and giving midazolam. Wasn't that clever? She was such a clever lady. And more so, she can read. Because when you try and get the information from the Freedom of Information crew, it's really complicated. I was looking at it going, I can't figure this out at all. What's going on here? Thankfully, uh, Denise knows how to read it. And she's really come up with that missing link, you know, because we knew the doctors were using midazolam in the nursing homes. That created the first wave in April 2020. We're always looking at that peak in April 2020. How come there were so many deaths? Oh, it was COVID. Wait a second. I'm not sure if it was COVID. Um, Midazolam, morphine, we know what they were using um, to bump people off. They put them on end-of-life pathways, as they call it. Um, They say they consented. Oh, wait a second, did they? There's up to 40 families right now in Ireland 
mentioned, uh, taking cases against nursing homes saying, wait, our loved ones were not treated properly. They do not resuscitate orders over their beds. Their loved ones weren't allowed to go in and see them and to say, wait, what's on that list? Now, one thing that really came out of this freedom of information request is all the different names for midazolam. There's so many different names. I didn't know about it. I've been looking at this story for a long, long time. I didn't realize that there were that many names for midazolam. Now, I put that out yesterday thinking, huge story. Sure, nobody was interested in it. You know, this mm -hmm. is the problem. I'm like, this is the story. Now, if I had, you know, a platform that I could really make that top news, so that's, this is front page news, folks, um, to, for people to understand the gravity and importance of a situation uh, and, and information like this that has come in. But unfortunately, yeah, because the level of distraction, there's so much going on and there are so many other top stories. And like one you sent me yesterday about um, Tusla, which is the child, what would you call it? I mean, hardly child protection. I try to say child protection, but they seem to be doing the opposite. And um, one guy there now, he was on the front page of the Irish Times. Now, we have to say about the Irish Times, OK, we can't trust them because they went along with the COVID hoax. They encourage people to take part in a dangerous medical trial that is killing people and they are covering up the excess deaths. So we don't trust them. But they're doing some good work. They're doing some good work on this Tesla stuff. So I was like, OK, well, let's take it. Uh, front page, this guy, Joseph Akwobi. Apparently, he's Irish. <laughs> oh, yeah. you this? A name like that. Yeah, he's Irish. And if you say anything else, Rick, what are you? Racist, racist, misogynist, right-wing extremist and all that. Whatever. White supremacist is what you are. <laughs> anyway, so uh, apparently uh, he was in charge of vetting for um, these child protection services. But was he doing it? No, he was fabricating. Um, so he was fabricating some kind of vetting service. And then he was allowing God knows who in to these children who are in very vulnerable situations. Um, we have also the story from the Birkian.ie, a very good uh, paper in Ireland or news outlet in Ireland. And they were looking at an ad for if you're interested in being a Tusla, which is child protection, foster care parent. They put it in the back of um, Gay Community News in amongst all these really disgusting ads um, with guys going around with no pants on and all mm -hmm. this gear. And in amongst that was an ad for would you be interested in fostering children? That's how bad things are, Rick. Things are really bad. I said it to my mother. I said, hey, did you see this? She looked at me. She said, that's it, misinformation. That's not happening. I said, it is happening. Look, she said to me, it's misinformation. Some people just don't want to accept the reality of what is going on, uh, Ashling, and so they, they adopt this ostrich approach. It's the head in the sand. No, it's if it's not coming from RTE or if it's not coming from the government's uh, pulpit that they sit and pontificate from, then it can't possibly be true. And that's the danger that we're in at the minute. And you made a great point, uh, just rewinding a little bit back. It's like, okay, all these things that people are talking about, what's important maybe is the things that they're not talking about and that we're not hearing covered. And the Tusla scandal is one of them. Uh, the whole midazolam business is another one. And there's also, uh, I think, a desperation going on at the minute now to try and brush the events of the last uh, three to four years under the carpet. So this week alone, just to give you an example, uh, James Freeman, who's one of our presenters, had Anne Whittacombe on the program and he was asking her about, you know, the whole business about lockdowns and uh, coercion and forcing people to get vaccines. And this is what she came out with and said, this is her words, not mine. She said, quote, the government did not compel anybody to get vaccinated. This is the first thing that we have to admit. 
Who's we? And why do we have to admit that when it's patently obvious that people work worse? Because if you didn't get jabbed, you were treated like a pariah. You were treated like a leper. You weren't allowed to drink indoors in a Dublin pub. You had to have your own little section in the rain where you sat and got wet because you weren't clean enough. You know, you were the great unwashed to go in and drink with the uh, uh, the other vaccinated drinkers, or you lost your job. If you were a care home worker in the UK, tens of thousands of people lost their job. How people can disassociate from the reality of what happened, which was people were coerced into getting this to say, we have to admit that nobody was compelled. I ain't admitting that, are you? I'm not going to admit that. Well, it's just incredible the way they want to now rewrite history and look back at it and say, oh, you know, it's nobody's fault. They want the blameless covert mm. inquiry in Ireland. Mm. I mean, can you imagine? Yesterday, yeah. I think it was on the mail, it was the RTE um, board of directors and, and apparently they all have to go. Of course they all have to go. This is the board of directors that presided over a COVID hoax mm -hmm. and is now seeing excess deaths that they are covering up. Of course they have to go. In fact, I would say RTE has to go, really and truly, because how could anybody trust them after this? How can anybody trust our government after what happened with COVID? And until we start to really say, this happened, lads, this really did happen, we've got to go over it, and we have to acknowledge it's happened, we have to acknowledge the excess deaths, we have to acknowledge each and every person's role because ultimately it's each and every one of us had a role there and we all had a multiple series of uh, moral tests and you know most mm -hmm. people didn't pass them and continue not to pass them by even not acknowledging and mm -hmm. so it's incredible what's happening and, and I have to say something else is happening so we're getting a lot of migrant crime and then I find a lot of people in the Trufa community and maybe they're right so I'm just keeping mm -hmm. an open mind on this but we say we are seeing a lot of child stabbings. Now in Germany, just this week, two children in a school stabbed. Uh, we saw what happened in Dublin. Now I put something up there during the week and everybody said, well, sure, that didn't happen. There are no stabbed children. The children were not stabbed because that was a psyop. Now I'm like, well, who's in hospital in Temple Street then? And we've got all these GoFundMe accounts have been set up. A lot of money is out there. I'm like, well, one way or the other, we need to get to the bottom of this. Uh, but I think the problem of calling everything a PSYOP is then you undermine and diminish the experience of the victim. Yes. Because are, there are people really getting stabbed. Mm -hmm. And I understand because the government is covering it up and not telling us the details about all of these things. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of speculation. Quite rightly so. I don't mind speculation, but we have to remember we're theorizing because we don't have enough information. But I'm right. looking at the court cases that are coming out. So I'm saying, well, wait a second. There are very real victims of this immigrant crime. We see what's happening in, in Sweden. Uh, you know, I was thinking the other day, is this some kind of state-sponsored jihadi attack going on on Irish citizens, European citizens? Is that, is that what's going on? We need to be able to discuss it without uh, saying everything's a psyop. Yeah, I, mean? I, I think I agree. Uh, one of the things that I've been thinking over the last month in particular is that whenever uh, the, the scandemic hit and the, the lockdowns were brought in and the, the, the mandates were brought in and, you know, the PCR testing and everything else, People rightly said, question everything and uh, be skeptical about everything, especially coming from the government. I think there's been a, a, a seismic shift towards uh, with some people that now adopt the attitude that nothing is real. 
everything is fake and we're living in the Truman Show. That's a dangerous path to be going down as well. I still think we should apply critical thinking to everything. And as you've rightly pointed out, we should be able to have a discussion. Okay, I think this is a psyop. And you said, okay, Rick, well, tell me why you think that. And I'm going to explain why I don't think that's the case. And we should be able to have a rational conversation about that and be flexible in our positions because I know I don't get everything right all the time and I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't get everything right all the time and you should be able to say well actually on on hindsight and with the benefit of you know uh, a little bit of extra research I now believe this to be the case rather than just simply saying oh it's fake it's a psyop it's this and that and the other because that's actually uh, I, I, there was one case in particular, actually, uh, that was reported this week uh, about a, a child that was allegedly uh, sexually abused by three immigrants. It's turned out that that hasn't been exactly what the case is. I believe there was an, there was an assault carried out, but there was a big push uh, on a lot of social media platforms to say, no, it was a sexual case and this, that and the other. Any abuse is bad. But the government now and the police are picking up on this to say, this is not actually what happened. This is actually false. And it's actually discrediting people because they maybe jumped the gun a little bit early without having the actual facts in their possession. And I know it's tempting to do that, especially on social media. You want to break a story. You want to get extra followers and you want to do this. But we need to be super careful when we're bringing anything to the fore that we need to make sure that our sources are good and we've checked them to be actually valid. Otherwise, it doesn't just discredit us, but it discredits uh, other people that are trying to do the same thing. And who's planting the story too? You know, a lot of the time, I think the cops are completely infiltrated in Ireland. So the yeah. poor devils, as far as I'm concerned, because nearly 98% of rank and file cops do not want Drew Harris as their boss. Mm -hmm. So in many, you know, many respects, you have to say, okay, but I know they're infiltrated because everything is infiltrated. There's scammers everywhere. And I know that, you know, sometimes the information is coming from the cops. You know, it goes out and then it's like, oh, my God, how can you say that? You know, that's yeah. false. So there's traps everywhere, which is yes. why we've got to stay true, I think, to journalistic ethics and, you know, keep asking questions. I asked somebody who's been accused of being a crisis actor. I've been accused of being a crisis mm -hmm. actor, for goodness sake, mm -hmm. of being a big pharma shield, of being a state agent. So I know what it's like. And when you stick your name and your face out there, it's a different ballgame than being an anonymous account somewhere, you know, who's just dropping comments here and there. It's a completely mm -hmm. different ballgame. So I put it to the person who's been accused of being a, a crisis actor. I'm like, well, you know, these, these are the allegations that have been made against you, and they're very serious. And he gave his side of the story. I put it out there. It was like I'd murdered somebody. How mm -hmm. dare I follow what is simple, basic reporting? Um, but, you know, that's where we're at now. It's like nothing is real and everybody's angry. And I'm like, just calm down now, folks. We've got to stay calm. And I sometimes think when I'm seeing people screaming into the faces of Gardi, it's just not the way forward. We've got to keep our powder dry now. Got to try and yeah. stay civilized as best we can and, you know, follow leads, follow the investigation, ask the questions and see where it leads us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and that's the key uh, because I'm a big believer in, you know, the critical thinking applies both ways. Uh, you don't take everything at face value, but then you don't discount everything offhand either. You have to invest a little bit of your own time into coming to your own conclusions because I think some people do that vicariously through like they could listen to you exclusively, for example, and think everything that you say is 100% accurate and the gospel, and therefore they'll go along that route without even, and I, I encourage people to do that with me. Don't just believe what I'm saying. Don't just take me at face value. 
Invest a little bit of time, do your own research and come to your own conclusions on balance and then take your position and, and then you'll be able to defend it. But I think we need to encourage that a little bit more because we're, some people are getting lazy out there and uh, attracted by the clicks and attracted by the sensationalism that gets in the way of what the truth actually is. So we're, we're pretty much up to time. This has went by like a rocket this morning, I think I must admit. Uh, but uh, massive thanks to you for joining us uh, from County Clare in Ireland. I Lachlan, check her out on Substack and I'm going to spell it because not everybody out there can get the Irish spellings right. It's Aisling, A-I-S-L-I-N-G, O-Lachlan, O-L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N dot substack.com and follow her on Aisling O'Loughlin News on Rumble as well. Aisling, have an absolutely epic weekend, whatever you're planning to do and uh, you and I'll stay in touch of course and hopefully we'll get talking sooner rather than later again here on TNT so uh, gotta go thank now Thank you so much uh, for having me on and well uh, done you for everything that you do and just thank you for allowing the space for the conversation it's so important, we might just get those top stories <laughs> out there where they need to be you're very, very welcome. And listen, yeah, it's great to have you on. Stay tuned as well for James Freeman. Both Ashing and us will be ushered off.